Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, I'm joined by guest co-host, Corinne Lytle-Bonine. We are featuring Shane Cooper-Smith, an environmental influencer known as Sustainable Shane. Shane grew up surfing in Carlsbad, California, where his love for everything sustainable started at a very young age. Everything from beach cleanups, to volunteering at local environmental organizations, to just planting his own garden, were all of his passions and purpose to protect our planet. Shane wanted to be part of something bigger, and he went on to study sustainable design at UC Berkeley. At Berkeley, he had some serious brain blasts, and sustainable Shane began to evolve. Today, Shane spends his days in San Diego as a sustainability guru. He's a high school horticulture teacher where he's able to share his love of our planet with the future generation. He created Sustainable Shane to help spread awareness about sustainability and tips on how to live a happier, healthier, and eco-friendly lifestyle. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Jessa. Hi, I'm Corinne. And I'm Shane Cooper-Smith, also known as Sustainable Shane. I love it. Welcome, Shane. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So... Tell us how you are connected to AEP. Ooh, great question. Well, as an environmentalist, I think we're all fighting for the same cause. So I think that's why we're uh, that's why our energies kind of flowed together. But the real connection came from the fact that one of my colleagues um, mentioned AEP to me, and that's how we got in contact. I'm a horticulture teacher at a high school in San Diego, and so my colleague, one of my fellow co-teachers, told me about it. Yay. We're glad you did. And yes. that teacher has a connection to uh, Corinne as well. So thank you, Corinne. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I, I, I spent some time with him. I'm glad I could uh, <laughs> spread AEP's message through him. Thank you. And Shane, so you said you're a whole, excuse me, horticulture teacher. And how, so what led you to your career in the environmental profession and like specifically teaching and <laughs> the subject matter you're teaching as well? Like what, what sparked that passion? Sure. Great question. And it goes years and years back. I'm 26 years old. Uh, I started being, I hadn't, then environment piqued my interest and I was probably just five or six years old. I was like sustainable before I even knew what the word sustainability meant. Right. Um, big shout out to my mom who got me interested in gardening, composting, I built a rainbow when I was about 11 years old. So I just thought it was a cool, uh, I mean, I was like 12 or 13, I was a little bit older, but anyways, yeah, I built a rainbow because I just thought it was a cool idea. And um, yeah, I just, there, there was one big moment when I was a freshman in high school, the local reef where I grew up by in Carlsbad. Um, I noticed how the reef was going into uh, people were using and abusing it basically. So I worked with the California State Parks and put up a tide pool awareness sign. And uh, I actually watched the reef recover in health. I watched people read the sign, read that they can't take their dogs off the leash. They can't take shells and rocks and how to properly tide pool, all the stuff like that. So um, that's when I realized humans can destroy our planet, but we can also protect it. And um, that's kind of where my environmental journey, I think, really started. That's a great story. I love that so much. And I think that is a testament to the power of education. Like if people know what to do, they're willing to do it. It's just being able to bring that awareness into their day to day and having them think, give a second thought to, to their actions. 
Well, it's kind so, of how there's, you know, three ways to get at, you know, changing people's behaviors. And like, there's the carrot, there's the stick, and then there's also awareness. And for, you know, some things it's people just don't know. Um, so, you know, a lot of times that education or that teaching can be, you know, the lowest hanging fruit where you're not having to, you know, dole out carrots or sticks. And so she, do you think with that context, is that what led you to the education field to being a teacher? Mm, okay. Yeah. That's another good, um, yeah, I think the sequence of events that's that led to it because no one, like, let's face it, no one wants to destroy our planet. Most people are just unaware of the, of the uh, negative effects we have on it. So once you inform someone of how to protect our planet or why they should care about it, most people are usually going to choose the route of, oh, you know what, I'll help out. So, um, yeah, I chose education because I think education uh, eliminates ignorance. And once you're not ignorant anymore, you've learned the information, you have the knowledge to to feel um, compelled to do something. And education is that it's the door that opens up possibilities. That's great. And I think too, you know, having that mindset in such an early age, and as you mentioned, you're earlier in your career and shaping the youth in this context of environmental awareness and knowledge. And so what, what was your career path? I mean, like you said, relatively early in your career, but what was the path you took that led you to where you're at today teaching? Totally. Yeah. So I grew up as an environmentalist, like I said, in San Diego. And uh, I was interested in it from like second, third, fourth, fifth grade, all the way on, which not to say you can become an environmentalist at any point in your life, right? It doesn't need to start when you're young. For me, it did. And I think that's part of the part of my environment that I grew up in. No pun intended. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So I just grew up... Uh, having a natural interest in the environment. And then following high school, I applied for college to study sustainable environmental design, which I did. I got accepted to UC Berkeley, studied sustainability. And at this whole time, I actually grew up uh, an actor and model in San Diego, going up to Los Angeles and everything. So I always enjoyed being in front of the camera, being in front of the screen, being an entertainer, right? So I studied sustainability at Berkeley. And then I graduated Berkeley with, um, with while also still being doing acting. And when I graduated, I was like, you know what, I want to start educating people about the environment. And there's no better way to do that than through social media. So I began my journey as sustainable Shane as an environmental influencer. And I'm still doing that to this day. And I took it to the next level by being a high school horticulture teacher. I love that. I don't know. And this might be my naivete or ignorance is I've never heard the term environmental influencer. So We're I think that's there. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> you, We are being influenced as we speak. <laughs> that's the plan. You know, we're on, this is going to be a podcast that people listen to it and hopefully be influenced to help out our planet. I love that. And I think as you're saying this and you studied sustainability, you are sustainable. Shane, is that what does sustainability mean to you? Great question with a million answers. <laughs> Short answer, I would say is sustainability means leaving a place the same way, if not better than the way you found it. The place being it? our, the place being our planet. <laughs> That is a great answer. I love that. And I think you 
I'm sure spending all this time talking about it, studying it and being sustainable shame, like that is such a concise way to communicate and understand it. Because like you said, there are, there are so many definitions and that's why when we have guests on here, we love talking about like, well, how do you define it? So Mm -hmm. it's very clear. And then, you know, being a, being a teacher and, and an influencer, um, I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing kind of the same trends that, you know, we see more at a national level of, you know, an increased concern, increased passion for sustainability, for fighting climate change um, with younger kids or, you know, younger uh, uh, people that you run across in your social media experience and, you know, other uh, influencing. And I'm always looking for a way to have a little bit more hope about uh, the future of our planet. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience with the youth and how, um, you know, I think that there really is a change going on being led by youth right now and, and, you know, what your experience has been with that. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. The youth are very much engaged in protecting our planet. It's one of the top, I think, number one, number one factor, like number one, um, I don't know how to describe this. Number one thing on people on the use radar is mental health. It's like number one. And then I would say number two, close behind is environmental health and climate, climate justice, environmental protection, things along that nature. So kids are super engaged in it. They are very much involved. The kids who aren't engaged in it are the ones who don't know anything about it. And they're usually feeling overwhelmed by the climate catastrophe. So that's where education comes in and I'll teach and and help kids understand, Hey, it's, it is a big existential crisis, but you got to start somewhere. And this is how we can begin. Thanks. Sorry, go ahead, Corinne. (laughs) No, no. Um, And then I was going to, you know, maybe ask one question and and it might be a little bit of a shameless plug, but, you know, here at AEP, we are um, launching a mentorship program with the intent of you know, bringing in young professionals, bringing in students, bringing in, um, you know, in, in increasingly younger members into AEP, you know, among other things. And, and one of the main drivers of that is acknowledging at AEP that we do need increased diversity in order to look more like um, and act more like the people that we represent in California. And I know that at your high school, you do come across a lot of underrepresented um, and disadvantaged communities. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there's any lessons you can share with us in your work with um, those kids on how we can make something like AEP uh, more uh, accessible to them. Totally, I would say in order to get um, students from my school in, in, in inner city school Title Nine or Title One, I forget the classification, but it's a lot of kids who come from underprivileged backgrounds. How to get them involved in? in AEP, the mentorship program, I would say, I would say increase your social media presence. That's a big way to get kids uh, aware of it, you know, create your TikTok page, your Instagram page, and then, you know, show them the benefits, show them that, hey, be, enrolling in our, in our mentorship programs, either going to make you more a healthier person that's going to physically impact you. It's either going to make you uh, more economically uh, intelligent person I means it's going to help you save money. It's going to help you learn about uh, different ways to protect our planet while also saving money. And then lastly, uh, it makes you cooler. It makes you socially cooler to be a part of the environmental fight, be a part of AEP mentorship program. Because people usually care about if it helps their body, 
if it helps their wallet or if it makes them socially cooler. Social capital. I love it. Yes. I, I think that's a really good point. And, um, you know, hopefully like communications is listening is that is it, I mean, it kind of comes back to the awareness factor too. It's like the carrot, the stick awareness and being able to get in front of a younger audience and let them know that there are professional organizations that you can join. There are mentorship opportunities. And Shane, I'm so glad you're here because we on, you know, this is environmental leadership chronicles. That's the title of the podcast. And so most of our guests are more experienced in their careers, meaning they've worked longer, meaning probably older. And so I think it's great to hear from someone who's earlier in their career and leading by example and being like, Hey, this is what the kids want. This is what we're out here doing. This is what we care about. And so, uh, you know, and like you said, I think was such a good point is like, we all, we all want a better planet at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. And Mm -hmm. I was going to mention earlier is, um, the, the podcast we have right before this, um, the, the episode prior to this is with Dr. Cindy Lynn and she, we are saying the same thing. She's like, listen, at the end of the day, you do the best you can do better than the day before. And a lot of us want the same thing. And so I really appreciate that through line that's coming up again with you and kind of building on that as you are earlier in your career, what are your career dreams? Like, what do you, what are you looking for, for the future? Are you, you know, is teaching where you see yourself at for the long term, and you know, what are some other things you'd like? To, what other projects would you like to be involved with? It's a tough question, and I think every person in their twenties always battles this question. Um, I would say the short term goal is right now I'm developing the horticulture internship program, where we're going to hopefully send our students to work at community farms or local nurseries, uh, regenerative agriculture farms like that. So I would say my short term goal is to help connect these students with internships and eventually paying jobs when they graduate to work in the environmental field. So that's what I'm motivated to do right now. And then in the long term, make enough money to be happy and have free time with my friends, family, and to enjoy nature. Whatever career path that takes, I don't know. (laughs) It'll be in the environmental field though, for sure. I love that. I, you're not alone. Yeah, when you figure that out, let us know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bring us along. Um, and so you are obviously very influenced by the environment and being out in nature and growing up in a coastal city. So what are some things that you do to take care of yourself? Like as far as like self-care and making sure that you can show up for your students and show up and be your best when you're promoting, you know, the message to save the planet. Totally. Number one is sleep eight hours a night, guaranteed. That is the number one way to take care of myself. Number two is eating right, having a good, healthy, clean diet. You know, I cheat sometimes, get in and out, whatever. But like most of my food is uh, is clean, you know, healthy, three meals a day. Don't skip breakfast, eat food with my coffee, stuff like that. And then um, <clears throat> last, lastly, I would say, and, I'm not, and I don't know. Yeah, I'm not trying to put these in, in order of significance, but I would say number three would be hanging out with the people I love. And um, yeah, just like seeing friends, family, partners, partner, uh, stuff like that. So um, yeah, just I think a great way to heal and a great way to to be happy is to spend time with people you love. I love that. Yeah, like that's a really good point, the community aspect. And I think, you know, when you kind of come back to talking about how like kids struggle, one of the number one things is mental health right now. And having, being able to be an example 
of leading with those basics, sleep, you know, nutrition and community, I think could hopefully reflect well for your students and how they can, you know, show up for themselves too in the world. Although high school. <laughs> yeah. Is it high school? Lot- it's high school, right? Yeah, high school. Okay, sorry. As soon as laugh- I said that, I was like, oh my gosh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's high school. They're always laughing at me because I'm eating carrots and broccoli in class and like pulling in Takis and light blue Gatorade. And like, what are you eating, Shane? Like, you're going to live forever. That's the plan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was thinking too, when you talk about the horticulture internship program, I think that'd be a cool thing that um, AEP maybe could help with some maybe some potential connections or referrals or partnership not to, to volunteer it, but let's do it. (laughs) We are reaching out to farms and organizations as we speak. So um, after this, I'll, I'll relay an email. Yay. Thank you. And I know, especially, you know, some of the corporate members of AEP do, um, you know, their own plantings, their own harvesting for native local seeds in order, you know, to support restoration activities. So I think that there's, you know, some very real uh, synergy there. Sweet. Look at that. Just the power of networking. And I think too, this is something I've always thought about. And I think it's difficult when you're, when you're younger or earlier in your career is like understanding what you want or knowing mm-hmm. what you want. And once you put it out there, that's when the magic can happen. That's when you're like, you know, like my short-term goal is to implement this internship program. And we're like, oh, look, we have 2,200 members in the environmental field in California. (laughs) Exactly. And so with, I mean, this is a little different question, but with the high school and, you know, being a teacher and there's been a lot of focus and, you know, in the news about teachers and education. And, and so how does, and like working at, I think it's a title one school, like how does the district and like the community and stuff view some of these programs? Like how do they support these initiatives in horticulture and, you know, environmental education with students? Yeah. That's a lot of stakeholders. (laughs) Totally. No. And um, everyone's supportive. They all think it's a great idea. And obviously everyone wants to Everyone wants to grow their own food and eat it, right? Or most people do, right? They think they they love that idea. They dream of it. So they're 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 very pleased that we offer a course that teaches about homesteading and how to grow your own food and make your own kombucha salves, the importance of regenerative agriculture. Uh, our staff is happy about it. Uh, the community is happy about it. The only qualm is there's not as many state standards established in our horticulture class. So that's like the hard thing because students learn very valuable life skills, but they don't maybe meet the California A through G requirement standard 2.1.674, you know, stuff like that. So that's where we have um, the small issue with, you know, um, maybe proving to people that, this class is important. And so does that mean in the context, like it is, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm just not familiar with the California education system that well, is that mean it's not like a requirement or it's not, it doesn't get as much funding, like, or there's not a course credit? Sure. Uh, I'll make it simple. Well, and I'll also say standard 2.6.4. That was a made up one. I was just saying that <laughs> to, to be, to exaggerate. I'll say basically this class is, it's more of an, it's seen of an elective instead of a core requirement. Got it. Thank you. 
I appreciate that. <laughs> Where I think, and many people do think that this class could be a core requirement, kind of like how environmental science probably started out as a as an elective, and now it's it meets standards for your standard or for your science standards. So who's to, who's to see? Maybe horticulture and horticulture will become that eventually. Maybe. Well, yeah, and there's there's yeah. always that joke that's like, oh, I can you know multiply one half by one fourth, but I still don't know how to do my taxes. Like, thanks, high school. Um, exactly. It seems like you know a shift to giving you know people the tools they need to live a better, healthier, more sustainable life is you know at some point hopefully going to be seen as more important than necessarily teaching to the letter of each standard. I think so. And our school is doing a good job with that. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. As I, as Corinne, I was thinking the same exact thing about how there's such a, you know, there's such a vocal majority about the lack of like teaching personal finance in school. It's like, I don't care about algebra. Teach me how to do my taxes. And I'm thinking the same thing. It's, you know, okay, I understand, you know, biology, I can like pass a test, but I can't, like, how do I apply it? How do I apply ecology and the environment, like the actual principles to get something that I literally need to live? Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm I'm so glad to hear you're leading that and that you have support and hopefully that change will come where it's, it gets the respect, right? It deserves and, and like not just being an elective, but a core, core curriculum requirement. And I was thinking too about this is that, you know, is there work that you are doing out? I mean, you're doing a lot of work, but is there work you're doing outside of the day to day as far as any volunteer work, or if you go surfing and pick up trash along the beach, like, you know, kind of in your day-to-day mm-hmm. life, like, you know, how do you interact with the environment? Sure. Well, on the volunteering standpoint, I'm on the board of a nonprofit called sustainability is sexy. And they're a local San Diego organization that that pulls together, it's like a central hub for sustainability in San Diego. So I'm on the board of directors for that. So we put together cool environmental events. Um, I've and met then, those women before. I've spoken with them during COVID, so I've never formally met them. So that's so awesome to hear that you're on that board. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, no, it's a fun time. And then for surfing, because you brought that one up, every time I go surfing, I take two pieces of trash, one for me and one for the sea. So I just pick that up when I'm going to and from the water. And then other than that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly growing food, composting. Uh, for example, my old apartment complex, uh, I, we had like a little tiny plot of land that was most people couldn't grow anything there, right? But I love gardening. So I, I grew a bunch of plants, c- composted, turned over the soil, and then I ended up moving out a year later. And I realized that on day one, when I moved into the apartment, that little piece of dirt was like hard packed clay and nothing could grow there. But on day 365, when I was moving out, I had turned that soil. It was full of worms and a microbiome and critters. So I was like, I was like, wow, I kind of left the earth a little bit better than how I found it. So I'm just doing little things like that all the time. Some restoration. I love it. I think those are or sorry, Corinne, go no, ahead. No, you go. <laughs> I just say those are great examples. I think day to day that like everyone listening to this podcast can walk away and do something. Like I love the one for me, the one for the sea. It's just, it's very catchy. And it it just makes you think about how you look at things when you're just going, like when I walk to my car, I can pick up some, well, hopefully I can't pick up something because there's nothing to pick up, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> And then I was going to ask Shane, so I actually 
came across, um, you know, you as an influencer, even before you started to work with um, my husband. And that was through watching you on the Bravo show below deck. So I wanted to see if, you know, how having that platform compared to what you're able to do on social media, compared to what you're able to do in the classroom and, um, you know, how, uh, that's impacted your reach or even your uh, uh, system for trying to spread your message. Sure, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I would say, and it, there's a there's so many different facets of it. I would say uh, it gave me a great platform to speak about environmental causes to an audience of a million plus people. So that was fun. And for those of you who don't know, what below deck is it documents the life of people who work on boats. So I was casted for the show as Sustainable Shane, in lack of a better word, and I promoted environmentalism. So that was really fun to like be on the show, bring sustainable sunscreen, um, reusable items, water bottles, uh, just stuff like that. It was fun to have a big platform on television. And um, also a good platform on social media where I trans- translate a lot of that audience from the show to my, to my social media. And then lastly, through school, you know, it's different. Um, Of course, teaching, educating on social media is different than educating in person. There's more similarities than differences. But um, from what I found, it's easier to hold people accountable when you see them in person versus when you see them online. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think with you being an educator, you just are in such a unique and influential position where you have some attention, hopefully most of the attention and the audience where you're able to communicate, you know, these messages um, versus just posting and with the algorithms and the feeds, you never, I mean, there's engagement and, you know, you can track analytics and all that, but it's a lot different when you have that personal connection. And I think, you know, coming back to AEP is this professional organization where you do get to meet with other professionals. And, you know, when we get, um, you know, people new to the organization, especially students who are able to speak with like-minded professionals and have these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, again, it's all building community, right? Like through AP in the classroom with our friends, partners, all that it's, it's important to have those conversations and not shy away from it because that is how we're all going to make change. Right. Like. Absolutely. Well, we are wrapping up towards the end of time. We kind of had a, a quick quick get in and get into the details fast with this. And so Corinne um, and Shane, before we get into the wrap up rapid fight, I want to see if there's um, anything else that we could, we should address. I would say um, for this, for your sustainability journey, sustainability is like learning math. Okay. And I'm going to say this so you don't get overwhelmed if you want to become more sustainable. When you started with math, did you start with calculus? (laughs) No, absolutely not. (laughs) <laughs> no, you start with your addition subtraction, right? Then you moved on to your algebra, then your like advanced algebra, and then onto your calculus, right? So sustainability is the same thing. You want, you need to start out with your addition subtraction first. That's maybe recycling, reading a book about sustainability, reading Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, something like that, right? Then you can take the next step, and maybe that's going to be um, shopping for envir- eco-friendly items or secondhand clothing shopping you know, moving up the ladder. And then lastly, you can move on to your calculus, if you will, which is going to be your investing in carbon neutral companies or offsetting your carbon emissions with every purchase you make. So 
sustainability is a long journey. It doesn't happen overnight. And I'll tell you that it's important to not get overwhelmed and take it incrementally. Great takeaway. Corinne, any closing comments before we wrap up? No, I mean, I just, I want to say thank you to all the work that you and your colleagues do both, you know, at your high school and, you know, kind of all over country, or I guess even the world is, you know, you guys really have some of the toughest jobs out there and, you know, the work that you do and, and, you know, being able to get, you know, some vision into it through, you know, seeing what my husband does at, at your school, um, it, it it really is, you know, a cause for hope more often than it's not. So thank you, you know, keep doing it. I know it's not always easy, but it, you know, you guys are going to help raise the kids that are hopefully going to save this world. So it's, it's so important. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I did. Well said my, I come from a family of educators, which is why I'm not one, but um, so much respect, <laughs> such, such a difficult job. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for being here. We'll do the wrap up rapid five and uh, close this out. So what's your favorite daily habit? Stretching in the morning. First thing I do when I wake up. What are three things you'd bring to a deserted island? Ooh, um, a coconut tree so I could plant and grow coconuts and use the palm frond so I can make my shelter. Uh, I would bring a spear gun. And I would bring um, a a cell phone with satellite service. (laughs) Very practical. What is your favorite environmental policy? The California Coastal Act. And that's basically the dictates how land along California's coast can be developed. Favorite flora or fauna? Oh, that's a good one. Favorite flora or fauna? I would say my favorite flora is going to be the passion, uh, a passion fruit. I love the flower and I love the fruit. And then I would say my favorite fauna is going to be at this moment. I would say, ooh, I've been infatuated with dorado recently, like mahi mahi fish. They're very beautiful. Right, and then finish this thought. Wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't it be cool if our planet was healthier and more forested and had cleaner air and less pollution by 2032? Very much so. Thank you, Shane. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for your time. And um, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Stay sustainable. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at califaep.org.